Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. Good morning. Good morning. It is uh, great to be back. My name is Ed Phillips. Uh, you know, uh, this is the, I've been back a couple of weeks, but we've had Easter and, and guest speaker. It's been a while since I've been up here. Uh, I do, uh, as Jason prayed, we were going to kind of enter into a, I wanted to share a little bit about sabbatical, and just one Sunday, but uh, it'll come out in other ways, but this is the one time I'm just going to let you know what I learned and what I appreciated, and and also it is kind of a big thank you to all of you for allowing me to take a sabbatical. Uh, sabbaticals are certainly something pretty common in terms of educational facilities, universities, and things. People uh, take sabbaticals to do special study and maybe study abroad. Um, I did get to travel abroad, but uh, I didn't write any books or anything, so I'm sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> But I got this one sermon for you, so uh, so you're not you know you're not without anything. No, uh, no, really, uh, the sabbatical was uh, super important to me. Uh, sabbatical is a word that is related to Sabbath. It comes from that root word, and it's that that idea of needing to take a to take a break. And as uh, we learn about uh, Sabbath, we also, in some sense, learn about sabbatical because in Leviticus it talked about letting the ground uh, lay fallow for a year every seven years uh, as a break for the land. But even as we turn to Genesis chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 2, we see that God, after he created, and we're pretty familiar with this passage, God, after he created, he rested. Um, And when we think about that, I, I think about it as a pattern more than a need for God. I think God gave us a demonstration of working six days and then resting on the seventh. Not because God needed a rest. Uh, I don't think it expended his energy and that he was uh, really tuckered out or anything. Uh, But that he set for us a pattern of working six days and then resting the seventh day. And as you read through Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you see that constant referring back to creation and the pattern of creation as a pattern for us as people. That we need to take breaks. We need to rest. And so... This was an important thing for me to do. I kind of stumbled into this uh, sabbatical. I felt like I desperately needed it. I was, uh, maybe just because I was being given it, uh, I started realizing how much I needed it. And for that, I am super thankful to you all. As I think about sabbatical, sometimes people say, well, you really deserved it and you needed it, you know. 
I, I think of it more as a grace and a care from you guys to me and to pastoral staff that get to take sabbaticals. Uh, because there are a lot of people that deserve sabbaticals. And, and, and fundamentally, why I needed a sabbatical so badly was I realized that I, I wasn't handling Sabbath very well. And Sabbath is to be built into our lives. Sabbath is something that we need. It is a part of our experience. God is our creator and designer knows that we need those breaks. And I struggled with the Sabbath. I think we as New Testament Christians do struggle with the Sabbath. Um, You know, we're here on Sunday, the Lord's Day, we say. But technically, it's not the Sabbath day, according to the Old Testament, right? We're here a day after. Um, So what does that mean? How do we as believers follow the Sabbath? How do we let it be life-giving to us? Because if we ignore it and if we don't practice it, then everybody will be like I was, stumbling into some kind of long break. And I've realized after this sabbatical that I need to make sure that I practice a Sabbath break. Now, we don't want to become, you know, part of our... Our concern is to become legalistic. And if you read down through church history and even the Puritans when they came to America and they had all these laws about attending church and what you couldn't, couldn't do, couldn't, couldn't do. I mean, we don't want to make the Sabbath something that's legalistic. But in our desire not to make it legalistic, I'm just concerned that maybe we have let the, the world's interpretation seep into the Sabbath. And so revisiting the Sabbath and thinking about it and thinking about the pattern of work and rest is important for us. And it's something that I think is important for me that I must figure out how to build that into my life every day and every week and that I hope we all start to think about how we build that into our lives. Now, there are some difficulties with the Sabbath. It's not just to pick up the Old Testament idea and follow it because we have some passages of Scripture that teach us something different about the Sabbath, such as Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Therefore, you do not let anyone judge you By what you eat or drink, or with regard to religious festivals, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So somehow we must understand that the Sabbath is transformed or changed because of who Christ is. And we think about Christ and his ministry as he engaged the religious Pharisees. It was constantly a battle in the Gospels around what Jesus was willing to do on the Sabbath. And they had rules and regulations and he wasn't following those. And he was in trouble for breaking those. So is it just rules and regulations? And that's what makes it more difficult and challenging for us. But I want us to learn one lesson that we need to regularly practice 
a Sabbath. And I want to help by uh, just telling you a little bit of what I learned about Sabbath and how I'm going to try to approach it and how I hope that it will be beneficial to you in thinking about how you live your life and how you approach the Sabbath. First, I've confessed that I was a Sabbath breaker in many ways. Now, that doesn't mean I didn't take a nap on Sunday afternoon. I enjoyed that. I did do that. But I don't think I made a distinction between how I did things on Sabbath, on a day of rest, from what I did the rest of the days. One of those distinctions could be necessities and obligations. I still maintain the necessities and obligations of the other six days of the week and kind of loaded them up on Sunday. And as long as I went to church, I felt like, well, the day is my day. I'll just do all the things that I need to do without intentionally stopping and taking a break so that there is a distinction on that day. Now, I, I wanted to use this a little story that maybe you appreciate and maybe you don't, but it comes from J.R.R. Tolkien in his Lord of the Rings when he talks about a time of rest in his story and it brings healing and help to the hobbits. The hobbits were making a dangerous journey, an almost fatal journey, and they were traveling to a place of Elrond in Rivendell. And as they were traveling to that place, they avoided the dangers, but they also knew that that was just a stopping off point, and they were on to an even greater journey that held even greater dangers. But when they were in this place of Rivendell, hear the description that J.R.R. Uh, Tolkien says. For a while, the hobbits continued to talk and think of the past journey and also of the perils that lay ahead. But such was the virtue of the, the land of Rivendell that soon all fear and anxiety was lifted from their minds. The future, good or ill, was not forgotten but cease to have power over the present. Health and hope grew strong in them, and they were content with each day as it came, taking pleasure in every meal and every word and every song. The important phrase here, of course, is the future good or ill, and they were pretty sure that it was a treacherous road in front of them, ceased to have power over the present. This is what I think God wants us to experience on a Sabbath. He wants us to unplug, to stop doing what we do six days a week and begin to look back at what has been done, what has been given, what can be enjoyed. And to make that kind of break because it is good for us, it is important for us, it is life-giving to us. So when we practice the Sabbath, I think we have to think about ceasing to do that which is necessary 
ceasing to do the have-tos of life, to make that break. We get caught up in the economic, political, and social web of our days and all of the experiences and demands and the tyrannies of the urgent. And those things will creep into a Sabbath day. And they will overrun that day. But we must make sure we mark off a day of rest and reflection and doing things that bring joy and remind us of God's presence and blessings. We can be just too busy on Sabbath days. So we must reject doing the things that are necessary. But another side of the Sabbath principle should be embrace that which gives life. This defines the Sabbath not just in what not to do, but also says what we are to do. Embrace what is beautiful. Embrace what is good. Spend some time in solitude and quietness and stillness and don't be on the treadmill of life. This is demonstrated to us by Jesus as well. Whenever he was challenged on the Sabbath days, he always did things that brought life. And so, yes, the Pharisees and religious leaders criticized him for healing the man with the shriveled hand and the the crippled woman on the Sabbath, the man with dropsy. They criticized him for those things. But remember what he said. If, uh, If an animal gets caught in a well, will you not take him and pull him out? Because it gives life to that animal. Don't Don't have an attitude towards the Sabbath break as a a manner of laws and regulations that don't give life. Enjoy life, celebrate life, share life, and give life. So, one of the things that was important for me was to recognize that rest in a various array of expressions must be done by me so that I enjoy life and I share life with others and I can experience giving. And then that will help me not to depend on myself. Will help me not to wear down because everything is my responsibility. Everything has to be managed and controlled by me. This is a great lesson for all of us. And I thank you for allowing me to be reminded of the importance of this lesson in my life. So, Sabbaths must be kept. Lesson two that uh, is maybe not as, uh, as quick to grasp because you know, I guess I'm coming to you with all my shortcomings. Because I've learned a lot on the sabbatical about things that I haven't done. And uh, so one of the second lesson that I learned and that I encourage you, uh, I learned it because I got on a sabbatical. So you, you get to do much better than me. Learn it without having a sabbatical. Uh, and that is don't ignore the maps in the back of your Bible. And 
Uh, if you didn't know, I was privileged to go with my wife and go to Israel at the very beginning of the sabbatical, and it was super great to uh, start the sabbatical that way. And actually, when I got back, it still it left me on a month's journey just reading and thinking and mapping out and looking at things from the geography of the land. And I, I'm sorry that I never worked that hard at the maps before. Uh, now, I know, you know, probably all of you have had uh, experiences of traveling to Colorado and seeing the beautiful mountains and taking a picture and, and just capturing it and bringing it home and showing your neighbor, you know, hey, look at when we were out there, it was awesome. And they can look at the picture. Yeah, nice picture. Uh, it is hard to capture that. But I'm not looking for you to capture the whole array of having taken a trip to Israel. But I feel like I should have used my Bible more with the maps in the back. When I was reading through the Old Testament and I would see a city or a place or location or direction of where they were going, what they were doing, the, the Scripture is the Word of God to us. It does communicate to us spiritual truths for our living every day. But it is a, a history too. It tells us historical events, real things that happened where God worked in the lives of his people. And we all have Bibles with maps in the back. We can learn to, to read the Bible looking at the map and helping us to appreciate the context and the situation and the revelation of God in human history. Let me see if I... Uh, hey, hey, hey. The first service had to turn their head sideways because I couldn't get it to rotate. Uh, but now we got it rotated. So up at the top is the north, and these are all the uh, tribes and the division of the tribes, and Simeon's down here, uh, and Judah's here, and you know Manasseh, and East Manasseh, and Asher here. Uh, all of the tribes. We hear about the tribes. You don't know how many times I've read the Old Testament, and, you know, but I never really knew where, you know, just kind of off in fairyland. They got land somewhere. But, but looking at the map can really help you appreciate the, the detail and what really happened. You know, when we went to Israel, I didn't know uh, that here's the Dead Sea, here's the Sea of Galilee, and Jericho is right in here somewhere. Uh, yeah, there's Jericho. I guess I never really knew that they came up from Egypt through the, the, uh, the wilderness of Zin and then went up on the east side, captured all these lands, and then crossed through in the middle of Israel above the Dead Sea. Uh, there's just things that I could have learned. And I'm just encouraging you to check out maps. And the other maps that you probably would see, pretty common. These are all the divisions of the sons of Herod that they were given territories. And they were tetrarchs, leaders. So Antipas and, Antipas and Philip and... and uh, what was the other name? Oh, sorry about that. Uh, but... Uh, they, these all people, all these people are mentioned in uh, the book of Acts. So as you're reading through the book of Acts, look at where their territories are 
And uh, they, uh, Antipas uh, is right in here. Now I remember now. And Archelaus is down here. And Philip is here. And this is the Decapolis, which was kind of run by its own. But you know, all of these guys played a key role in the church's early days. And, and uh, you might remember that uh, uh, Jesus was brought before one of them. And uh, John the, uh, Paul was brought before one of them. And so just use the maps in your back, back of your Bible. And it is a fascinating thing that the lands are there, the history is there. And when you go to Israel, they say that uh, learning the scriptures and understanding the land is like having a fifth gospel. You have the four gospels, now you have the fifth gospel because you can put a story and a context, a situation, understanding of what's happening in those places. And so uh, I, do, I did do some pictures, maybe, maybe not. Uh, there were pictures. Oh, you know, I'm supposed to point it back here. I'm trying to uh, learn to be like Craig, because Craig is... Uh, <laughs> I'd catch up to Craig, maybe. Uh, this is Capernaum, and uh, Jesus did uh, 12 miracles there. That was kind of his base of operation. Uh, there was uh, Chorazin, which is just to the north of that, was also where he traveled, so they traveled. And the disciples all pretty much came from th- you know, the three cities, Chorazin, uh, Capernaum and Bethsaida. So it's just an amazing amount of information that you can learn by just doing some investigation. And then, of course, uh, the Temple Mount. I, 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 I hesitate to tell you how dense I was, but why the Temple Mount? I just thought because they built the temple there and that Jerusalem was the holy city and but I guess I never knew that the Temple Mount was Mount Moriah, where Abraham took Isaac to sacrifice him. And that's what made it a holy mount. And it's an amazing place, amazing things to learn about. It's uh, uh, great. So don't neglect the maps in the... Oops, sorry. Don't neglect the maps in the back of your Bible. It can bring a great deal of life to the scriptures and I appreciate the, the opportunity to travel there with my wife and to learn some of these things. Things I should have learned. I, I was going to tell you that I met this guy and I uh, started telling him about places we went. Cities and all of these things. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah. And then this city's just north of there and then this happened at that city. And then he says, and did you get to go over to this city? And, uh, and I'm like, wow, you, 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 know, you know better than I do. You been to Israel? Nope, never been. Always wanted to go. But I read the Bible looking at the maps in the back of my Bible. <laughs> so, hmm, I should have done that. Well, now you guys are, are encouraged. <laughs> to do that. So that was lesson two. Read the Bible. Uh, read the maps. Don't neglect the maps in the back of your Bible. Lesson three, last lesson, is the reaffirmation of the depth of discipleship. This probably is the one that's most important for me, though I think all the others are very important as well. 
Um, but I realized a lack of intentionality in myself towards discipleship. We talk about discipleship, we realize the, the importance of discipleship, and but, but sometimes we think that discipleship will just happen, I think. Uh, I have a question for you. How many in here can run a marathon right now? If we went outside and got lined up, could make it on a marathon? And there's, a, there's a, guy, one, a couple. I thought there'd be a bunch of them. How about a half marathon? Can you get up and run out of that? There we go. <laughs> well, I would say that I couldn't run a marathon or a half marathon. <laughs> and I, I might say, uh, why? Why can some of you run a marathon or a half marathon? And I doubt whether I could run a marathon or a half marathon. Well, you might say, well, just look at how old you are. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, that, 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 that might play a role, but I think there's some older folks that can run marathons or half marathons. You might say, hey, well, you've got to lose some weight and trim up and, you know... Yeah, that, that, that's probably true too. But is that what's really keeping me from running that half marathon? Maybe it's desire. Well, if I just want to bad enough, I can just get out there and do it, I bet. If you have enough determination, you could do it. I don't think so. I couldn't. I'd probably die trying. Uh, what's the difference? Training. Training, And if you're training, then everything you do as you are training is guided by the goal that's in front of you. And that training is discipline. That training requires something from us. We have to orientate ourselves to that. And I think that we as Christians have become comfortable with the Christian life, not really feeling the responsibility and the call to really transform and change. And that we think of Christianity as more of an event, a miraculous event. And at the heart of it, there is a miraculous event that takes place. Jesus came into the world as the Savior. He was spotless, sinless. He, he came to, as God incarnate, to communicate to us who God is. But as he came, he also knew that he was going to go to the cross and lay his life down, die, and be raised again. And that all of us who believe in him would receive that salvation. That transformation. That is a miracle. And it is at the heart of the gospel. It is heart, at the heart of the good news. But Jesus never intended us to stop there. Jesus always intended his followers, his disciples, to be in the process of being shaped and formed so that... The glory of Christ, his attitudes, his life, his grace, his mercy, his love would flow through the followers of Jesus. Well, does that happen automatically? Does that happen if we sit by and wait for it to happen? Can I run a marathon or a half marathon? 
How does it happen? Through training. Through realizing that, yes, we have been made new inside. We have been made new creatures by the grace of Christ. But that hasn't changed my body. That hasn't changed my mind. I still will operate and live like I've always operated and lived unless that life of Christ changes everything. And my think, I think that for me and for maybe uh, us Christians in America, we've been a little more emphasizing the work of Christ on the cross and the salvation we get, but we've forgotten where he's calling us to go. And that is complete transformation. Transformation in my attitudes, in my relationships, so that I reflect Christ, so that I live the life that Christ desires to live in me, in this time, in this moment, so that the display of the reality of Jesus is made evident to all who know his people. Isn't that why Jesus said that by your loving one another, the world will know that you are my disciples? Because there will be such a transformation, such a change of attitude and action and belief and love and compassion and service and caring and community together that you can't deny that something spectacular is happening. I think it fundamentally goes to our natural practices. I think of myself. If I get criticism, I sometimes will deflect or respond, or maybe get defensive. Well, that's what I've always done ever since I was a little kid, if I remember, right? And then I became a Christian, okay? So now I'm a Christian who gets defensive and responds. I haven't been transformed. I haven't been training. I haven't been working on that. I haven't been trying, uh, not trying, but training, letting God's presence transform me to the very core of my every action and the way I would respond. I think there's many things in which we are tended to maybe gossip or talk about somebody or, or lie. Those are all practices that we've had before in our lives and we we don't, we, we've become Christians. We've, we've trusted in Jesus. And, and now we're on our way to heaven. So, yeah, let's, uh, we're just kind of buckle up and handle life as we go through. But that's not what life's about. Life is about training. Training to be like Jesus in everything we do. And if we don't focus on that, if we don't work and ask God to take that call into our lives and to change us and to shape us, to use all the things that He's given us, prayer and the Scriptures, His presence, the words of truth, I would say Sabbath, solitude, celebration, using all those things, seeing life from God's perspective. If we're not training to do that in everything, we're not changing. We're the way we've always been. So discipleship is deeper. It's deeper than I ever thought. Deeper than I was practicing. Deeper than I was living. And I long to go deeper. And I long for all of us to go deeper. 
to know Christ. I think of the people of Israel going into the promised land. And they came up to where they cross over near Jericho and they go to Jericho. They march around the city and miraculously the walls fall in. Is that where they stop? They camp out and say, we're done. No. God says, follow me faithfully and go and conquer the rest of the land. And they didn't find miracle after miracle. They didn't walk into city after city and just walk around and all of a sudden things fall over. It wasn't a miracle thing. It was their participation. It was their battles. It was their processes of ongoing trusting and, and believing God and, and doing what he's called them to do and, and repenting when they failed and changing direction and trusting him to give them all the land. And somehow we have walked into Jericho. God has miraculously saved us through the death and resurrection of Christ we trust in that and we're just sitting there but we need to be training we need to be changing I think of Jesus words in Matthew chapter 11 take my yoke upon you I think of that yoke as two oxen one's me and one's the Lord and to get into that yoke and to let his life guide me And I could buck against him, do my own thing, but what he's telling us is that he has given us his life. And that life is to flow into us. We're not transformed yet. Our bodies haven't been changed. We still have all the same tendencies we've had. We have to be in the process of training to be like him. We need to be yoked with him. We need to walk with him. And we need to let his life flow into us. In every way. And that won't happen automatically. And God will not force himself upon us. He wants his disciples to long for his presence. To long for his work in their lives. And so we need to remember. We're called to be disciples. We're privileged to walk. This yoke is light. It is easy because the life of Christ will flow to us. To empower us to live as he wants us to. As we trust in him. It's a glorious gospel. So the invitation is to all of us. Practice Sabbath. Realize God is good and he's gracious. And he takes care of us. He wants us to stop and look at what he's done for us. To be joyful in the beauty of his creation. And the rest he provides to us. Take your Bibles, read intelligently, use the maps in the back, learn the revelation of the story of God and the history of the people of Israel. And then realize the depth of our discipleship. That we're training. We're not trying. We're training. And everything that happens in our life is an opportunity for us to live out the life of Christ. And in that is the greatest joy. You can say with the words of Christ, the greatest joy, greatest satisfaction, the greatest blessing you can ever receive. So trust Him. Come to Him. Follow Him. If you don't know Him, receive the Savior. Enter into a life being a disciple. For us who know Him, Let's learn 
Let's train to be his people. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are good, gracious, and loving. Lord, that you also are a God of invitation. You won't force us to do Sabbath rest. You invite us. You call us to it. You won't force us to read the scriptures with life and attention and intensity. But you invite us to it. And you won't force us in discipleship. But you are there. You are offering to yoke up with us and to allow your life to flow in and through us. And this is for our good. We pray that you will have your way with us and that we'll see everything in our life, every moment, every area of our life as an opportunity to be your disciple, to allow your life to shine. We thank you for your grace to us. In Jesus' name, amen.